Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040 or issuesetc.org. So far in our series on the opponents of Jesus, we have discussed opponents of Jesus really on the basis of theological differences. The Pharisees and the Sadducees both had serious theological opposition to Jesus, as well as other motivations, of course. What we haven't discussed yet are the political opponents of Jesus. It would be, in this case, the Herodians. We hear a little bit about them. There's an awful lot to learn about their history and the dynasty that they supported. Herodians were big fans of the Herods. Why did they oppose Jesus? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's the conclusion of our series on the opponents of Jesus. We'll discuss the Herodians. Dr. Curtis Giese joins us. He is professor of religion at Concordia University, Texas, New Testament editor of the Concordia Commentary series, and author of the Concordia Commentary on James and Second Peter and Jude. Dr. Giese, welcome back. Thank you so much. It's always an honor to be with you. We've talked about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. How would you compare and contrast the Herodians to those two groups? Well, let's consider them on a spectrum of religious and political. Very much religion was integrated politics at that time. And among the groups, the Pharisees were the most religious, but yet had political aspects to them. And the Sadducees, also religious, they were in charge of the temple, but also very politically minded as well. The Herodians, the most politically minded. They were concerned about the political, the power status situation of the Herodian rulers. So by far the most political group of all. So where do we find them? Just briefly a survey of where we find the Herodians in the Gospels. The Herodians appear much less often compared to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Only three, perhaps four times, and you can see their political mindset, especially in this first instance in Matthew 22 and a parallel passage also in Mark 12. There it says, the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and they asked him, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. As you can see, a very political question. 
And then they also appear in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, when there's a question about healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus looked around at the Jewish leaders, uh, beginning of verse 5, it states, He, Jesus, looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand, the man who had a crippling issue. And uh, he, the man, stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. And the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And finally, in Mark chapter 8, verses 14-15, there's a textual variant that might mention the Herodians. That text reads, Now they, namely the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the textual variant is, uh, instead of Herod, it may say the Herodians. So that's the extent that it specifically lists this party, this group that were supporters of the Herodian rulers, very much wanted to, them to keep their status quo, and uh, only appear those several times in the New Testament. Review for us, if you would, the history whereby the Herods were able to secure power. Yeah, I'll take a, a brief look again at the Second Temple or Intertestamental period. As we saw at the end of the Old Testament, Persia was in power. Alexander the Great then came into power. And after his early death, his generals were the successors and they vied for territory. The land of Israel went back and forth and who controlled it? The Seleucid Syrians had power in second century, and they were especially brutal in second century BC, especially brutal against the Jews and forbade the practice of Judaism. That led to a revolt, the Maccabean revolt. The Jews rebelled against the Syrian rule, and that war went on for a few decades until they acquired full independence. And the dynasty was known as the Hasmonean dynasty. For several generations, that dynasty went on, and the last ruler was Queen Alexandra. And her two sons, Aristobulus II and Hyrcanus II, vied for power as to who would be the next king. This is where Rome entered in, and they took the side of Hyrcanus II. They took away territory and power from him, and much was given instead to the Roman legate in Syria. But nonetheless, this Hasmonean ruler continued. At this time, however, a leader from Idumea, former Edom, uh, that area was forced to accept Judaism in 127. This person by the name of Antipater also came to power in that area by the blessing of the Romans. He was side by side with Hyrcanus II, and Hyrcanus more so became a figurehead. And Antipater was the father of Herod the Great. Antipater became, as mentioned, uh, the real power in that area, but unfortunately for him, he was murdered after several years in power. Herod the Great, in the meantime, was named governor of the land of Galilee, and things went well. He was able to decrease the amount of banditry, bring solace, relative peace to that area. 
But the Parthians invaded the land of Israel and Herod, later Herod the Great, he fled to Rome and Mark Antony and Octavian were vying for power co-rulers and they both said to him that if he drives out the Parthians, then he could be the king of the Jews. Herod the Great, Herod went back to the area of Israel and joined forces with several other groups and was able to drive out the Parthians and he indeed was named king of the Jews. So a time of gaining prosperity occurred thanks to the blessing of Rome and other leaders. Uh, some dangers occurred. Cleopatra of Egypt wanted to take some of his territory. That was unsuccessful. Also, Mark Antony was having issues. Mark Antony, who was on the side of Herod, he and Cleopatra defeated the Battle of Actium in 31 BC, and that left Octavian the sole ruler in Rome. He later became known as Caesar Augustus. Herod pledged loyalty now to Caesar Augustus, which was accepted, and now this time of prosperity from 30 to 12 BC arose. Herod the Great was delighted to do various building programs in honor to his Roman benefactors. He built great cities in Hellenistic fashion, such as Sebaste and especially Caesarea on the sea, made a magnificent Hellenistic city with Hellenistic institutions and entertainment, a magnificent harbor, all in honor to the Romans. But also since Herod was from Idumea and not seen as fully Jewish, he also wanted to be on good terms to as much as possible he wanted to be on good terms with the Jews. He did not allow his image to be put on any of the local coinage. And also he renovated Jerusalem, but especially the Jerusalem temple. He expanded it to about double its size and greatly made it more glorious. It was known as one of the wonders of the world. Unfortunately, Herod also was a very suspicious person likely had psychological issues. When he came to power, he killed many of the remaining Hasmonean family, and he had quite a few sons, 15 sons from 10 wives. He became suspicious of several of them and had three of those sons killed, and also he became suspicious of one of his wives, Mariama, his favorite wife, and had her killed as well. So his suspicion, his paranoia would overtake him, and he could become especially ruthless and brutal. And this becomes a, very much apparent when he appears in the Bible in Matthew chapter 2. There the wise men come to him from the east and ask about the one who has been born king of the Jews. And this especially upset him because Herod saw himself as the king of the Jews. He fought his way to become king of the Jews. So any rival he viewed with great concern and his brutality was very much in character as we see from the book of Matthew that he killed the boys who were less than two years of age but thankfully Jesus and family were led out of that situation and Herod the Great died a couple years after that. But after Herod the Great then in his will 
he wanted to pass along his kingdom to three of his sons, to Archelaus and Philip and Antipas. And this was to be ratified in Rome. These three sons went to Rome to have this confirmed. And actually a contingent of Jews went there and said that they did not want Archelaus to rule in Judea and Idumea and Samaria. Actually, Archelaus was the eldest and he was granted a double portion compared to the others. I just should also say that this contingent of Jews uh, did what they wanted, direct Roman rule actually, because Archelaus had a record of being especially brutal. But Caesar Augustus confirmed Archelaus and he ruled for 10 years, but indeed proved himself to be especially brutal. He was driven out of office, and then from that time, for many years, there was direct Roman rule in Judea. The first Roman prefect was Caponius. He ruled from 6 to 9 AD, and then the fifth of those was Pontius Pilate, uh, the fifth of the prefects. Another of Herod's sons was Philip the Tetrarch. He ruled for 37 years. He had the areas north and east of Judea, the areas of Iturea, Galantis, Trachonitis, and so on. Josephus describes him as being modest and peace-loving. And by the way, much of the information I'm giving is from Josephus. He provides an especially rich history, and these rulers are just mentioned occasionally in the New Testament. So he rules peaceably for 37 years, and he does put his image on coins because this is mainly a Greek area, a very prosperous time in the areas where he ruled. He rebuilt a certain city in honor of Caesar. It became known as Caesarea Philippi, and this comes to the fore, is mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, where Peter speaks his great confession of Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God. So there that area of Philip is mentioned. But also in Mark 6.16, it's indicated that the other son, Antipas, married the wife of Philip. Illegitimately, he took this woman Herodias to wife. So that's about the extent of contact with Philip. Really nothing all that negative about him. But then we come to Antipas. Antipas was another son of Herod the Great. He was given to rule Galilee and Perea. He ruled for 43 years in this area. He rebuilt a certain city. It became known as Sepphoris, uh, very close to Nazareth. And its location in Nazareth, uh, many have said it's very possible that Jesus and Joseph worked as carpenters there because the demand for carpenters to help build that city. And also he built the city of Tiberias, his new capital near the Sea of Galilee. And he named that in honor of the emperor Tiberius. Now here we come in contact with the New Testament as Antipas, as mentioned, marries his brother's wife and John the Baptist speaks against that in Matthew 14 and Mark chapter 6. And John is put in prison. And at a celebration for Antipas, it's Herodias' daughter who does a dance. 
And we learn that from Josephus that her name is Salome. So she does a dance that especially impresses Herod Antipas, and he offers her virtually anything, up to half of his kingdom. And Herodias suggests to the daughter that she asks for the head of John the Baptist. And unfortunately, that is the, the death of John the Baptist at that, that point. And we learned from Josephus that uh, the name of this fortress is Machaerus, where this side of the event took place. In other places, we learn of Antipas's contact with Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, Antipas thinks that uh, perhaps Jesus is John the Baptist come back to life. He hears of some of the words and ministry of Jesus and uh, thinks that might be the possibility. And Luke 9 verse 9, he wants to see this miracle worker, uh, see what he can do. And then also in Luke chapter 13, a number of Pharisees surprisingly come to Jesus and want to protect him. They warn him that Antipas is trying to kill him. And then in Luke chapter 23, we see that uh, there is a trial of Jesus before Antipas. This is also in the context of Pontius Pilate after Jesus is arrested after the Lord's Supper. Pilate wants to take some of the heat off of him and he learns that Antipas is in town. He sends Jesus for trial over to Antipas. Antipas has a conversation with Jesus, says mocking of, of Jesus. He doesn't find any fault with him and sends him back to Pilate. Now, it was stated that Pilate and Antipas were at odds with each other, but after this event, it's indicated that they made up, that there was harmony with them. Antipas, uh, it said in Josephus, then lost his position in AD 39 when his wife urges him to ask the emperor to make him king. And that raised suspicion about his aspirations. And he was banished to Gaul along with his wife. And his land was added to that of another Herod, to Agrippa I. So those are the main Herodian representatives that are uh, during the time of Jesus. So once again, Herod the Great, when Jesus was a young baby, and then the three sons, Archelaus, Philip, and Antipas. Archelaus being brutal and uh, did not rule as long as the others. Philip, a very peaceful ruler up in the north and east part and Greek portions. And Antipas, who reigned for a long time, but had uh, some encounters with Jesus and the one who sadly put John the Baptist to death. Dr. Curtis Giese is our guest. We're concluding our series with him on the opponents of Jesus, talking about the Herodians. And after the break, we'll discuss the Herods that were in power after the ministry of Jesus. Do you need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Some place where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org.
For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran Witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Sanctifying your housework with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Join Lutherans for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 19th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023. Go to lutheransforlife.org to learn more about LFL's Conference for Adults, LFL at the March, and the Y for Life Youth Conference in Washington, D.C. The registration deadline is December 15th. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org It's the days before Christmas and the list is so long of whom to buy what for, so I'll help you along. Ad Crucem has gifts for all budgets and tastes. Our service is quick for shoppers in haste. Pop over to the website adcrucem.com for gifts focused on Christ where it's always belonged. Reminders of his work for saints in this world and his promises eternal yet to be fulfilled. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Folks, you have two weeks left to register for Lutherans for Life's Adult and Youth Conferences at the National March for Life in 2023. These events take place from Thursday, January 19th through Saturday, January 21st in our nation's capital. Find out more at lutheransforlife.org. The registration deadline is December 15th, lutheransforlife.org. We're concluding our series on the opponents of Jesus discussing the Herodians. Dr. Curtis Giese is our guest professor of religion at Concordia University, Texas, New Testament editor of the Concordia Commentary series and author of the Concordia Commentary on James and 2 Peter and Jude. What can you tell us about the Herods after the ministry of Jesus? Well, there were a couple who appear in the book of Acts. There is, first of all, Agrippa I, who ruled from approximately 11 BC to 44 AD. He was the grandson of Herod uh, by his son Aristobulus. So as mentioned, when Antipas was exiled, his territories were given to him. In Acts chapter 12, we learn that uh, he can be brutal. Agrippa I can be brutal as well. He executes James, uh, that is the brother of John. So James is the first of the apostles to suffer a martyr's death. This seems to gain favor with the Jews. So then he also imprisons Peter, but Peter is miraculously released. That's then in in Acts chapter 12, when there's a dispute with some of his subjects that he then, Agrippa I, appears in his royal robes, shining and glorious, and begins to speak. And some of the people there, too impressive, saying, this is the voice of God and not of man. 
And Agrippa I does not dispute that at all. He accepts this, that some are calling him God. And for this arrogation, God strikes him at that moment. He suffers a terrible, painful death, apparently by some worms involved. So he suffers because of his arrogance. So that is the end of Agrippa I. Then also Agrippa II is mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 25. He ruled from approximately 27 to 100 AD, and he was the only son of Agrippa I. He appears in Acts 25 after Paul was arrested after the third missionary journey. And when the Roman governor uh, puts him on trial and hears that Agrippa is there with his wife, he invites him to participate in this trial and it appears that Agrippa knows scripture quite well. Paul tells of his entire experience with Jesus coming to him, resurrected Jesus, and Paul tells about his conversion and ministry. And Paul says, I know that you believe in the prophets. And uh, Paul seems to indicate that Agrippa is seemingly somewhat embracing the Christian message, it seems. And uh, Agrippa says that uh, there's no reason for a charge against this man. And uh, the Roman governor agrees, and they both state that he could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. And that's when Paul is taken by ship to Rome to state his appeal before Caesar. So that's a a view of the Herodian rulers that are in Holy Scripture, mostly negative as we see some are trying to kill Jesus and other early Christian leaders, some more neutral. But uh, so it's appropriate to look at uh, these as group of the opponents of Jesus and also then the Herodians, supporters of them, who also opposed Jesus and combined with the Pharisees in order to try to stop Jesus. As we conclude this series on the opponents of Jesus, what do we learn about Jesus in his interactions with his opponents, the Herodians, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees? He typically indicates that they do not understand. They do not understand what sort of king and savior he is. For example, in his interaction with the Sadducees, he says, you don't know Holy Scripture and what God is about. So also in the interaction with the Pharisees and Herodians, uh, just read in Matthew 22, where he says, give back to Caesars what is Caesars and to God what is God's. They just do not have in mind the things of God. They have in mind the things of men. So the message that Jesus speaks about sin, depravity of humanity, the necessity of a savior like Jesus, they are just not on the same page. So Jesus speaks a message that just does not connect with them, and it becomes obvious that they don't anticipate a savior like Jesus. Dr. Curtis Giese is professor of religion at Concordia University, Texas. He's New Testament editor of the Concordia Commentary series and author of the Concordia Commentary on James and Second Peter and Jude. You can purchase these commentaries by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040 
or on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Dr. Gacy, thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Friday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss naturalism, Christianity, and human dignity with Dr. Angus Manoj. We'll get a review of Season 1 of the Star Wars TV series Andor. Our guest will be Pastor Ted Geese. And we'll study the Advent hymn on Jordan's Bank, The Baptist's Cry, with Dr. Arthur Just. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways.